0: what's the point of being brave? What's the point of sharing your story? Well, we think it is the point. Hi, I'm Liza Jean, a certified Enneagram coach and the founder of living simply brave. Hi, I'm Megan Lynn, communications expert and
1: founder of voice your story. And together we are voice your brave story an Enneagram journey podcast. a place to dive deeper into inner work to explore how we experience our stories through the foundation of the Enneagram and hear the brave journeys of everyday people who have faced trials along the way. Today, we pick up where we left off last time. We started to pursue the process of adoption. Um, The whole process took about 18 months and um, was very, very taxing as far as on your emotions. So, but we were just it, it kind of gave us something to join in together and to like, OK, we're going to we're going to go for this. And um, really kind of seemed like the the thing that was going to pull us together. Like this is this is it. Um, which now looking back feels incredibly naive, <laughs> incredibly naive. But at the time we were getting it felt like we were getting closer. Um, really what we were doing or was that we were just bonding over having this shared experience, um, that we couldn't really talk to about with a whole lot of other people. Um, and so we finally got, it was 18 months into the process. Um, he came and stayed with us a couple more times. They stayed with us over Christmas for two and a half weeks, the following summer for almost eight weeks. Um, and then that following spring, we, um, we were fortunate enough to be able to adopt him. Um, what we didn't know, um, which ended up coming out years later was that he has um, reactive attachment disorder. So um, if somebody, if any, I don't know, if, Liza, do you, are you familiar with what reactive attachment disorder is?
0: I think a little bit, but I don't know all the details of it. I've done a yeah. lot of reading on a lot of different things. and. Yeah. Um, based on the description of what you're just saying and your facial expression that I can see, um, and the few conversations we had, I can only imagine how challenging that is.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's a heartbreaking diagnosis. Uh, this, this is what's going to make me cry first. Um, what happens with reactive attachment disorder is that somebody has been so hurt um, and I'm not going to get into the details of his hurt because that's his hurt to share. But um, but it's where somebody has been so hurt in their life that they um, cannot believe that somebody loves them and in a sense that they can attach to it. So anytime that they start to develop a relationship with somebody else where love starts to eke into their heart, they're going to find a way to push it away. Because all of their red flags inside their internal warning system is telling them no this isn't right I can't do this there I can't trust this it's not going to stay it's not going to be here I can't put myself there. Um, Because they've been in such a vulnerable spot and been hurt so many times they don't trust that. Um, And so what's very common is that for the person who they feel the most attached to that's who they're going to push against the day that the adoption was finalized was the first day that he started to act out towards me specifically um i was trying really hard internally to wear that as a badge of honor that okay he feels like he can trust me and so that's why he's pushing away um but it got harder and harder and um, and we still had about three weeks left in Ukraine, even still to, to finish things out. Um, and we hit a roadblock. So everything was going along really well. And then we, we had something, it, it was something with his visa to be able to come back. And we weren't totally sure what was wrong with it. And we were getting down to the point that if it didn't get solved, we were going to have to start changing our flights back and figure out, well like, cause both of us could technically leave Ukraine, but he couldn't leave Ukraine. So <laughs> that didn't help anything. Uh We had to figure out how to get him back. He couldn't fly by himself, of course. Um, And so we're trying to figure out, well, you know, I'm the one that really should go back to work, but, um, but he's like, like we're, it was hard to decide. Like it seemed to make more sense for me to be in Ukraine, but I was also the one that needed to go back to work Um because as was the theme throughout our marriage. I, my my job was the one that was more stable. Um, and so it it would created all this stuff. And, um, and we hit a point, I remember, um, it was a super rainy day. It was such, just so gross outside. And um, we'd all gotten illnesses. We'd all gotten sick. Um, uh, my son was pushing back really hard against me um, acting out a lot. Um, and I just was like, you know what? I, I am going to take what, what little mad money we have left. Um, cause we had money saved aside in case one of us needed to stay, but I had a little bit of money left. And I'm like, I am going to go down to the internet cafe. Cause you couldn't just do it from where you were. You had to go to a cafe, like I'm gonna to go to the cafe. I'm gonna go by myself. I'm not gonna go with the translator because just, she wasn't available right then. I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna go do it, and I'm gonna start emailing and calling people until I get an answer. And um, and I tell this story because I feel like this response from him ended up kind of being that quintessential moment for me of where everything was going wrong. He he was very cold, and. Um, told me how stupid I was for even going and trying. Um, why are you even doing this? This is dumb. Why are you even attempting this? Um, and it wasn't the first time that our our attempts in life were so vastly different from one another. There's lots more stories and that I didn't need to tell all those stories, but that one in particular, um, the fact that I was doing something that was trying to make things better Um, I had this kind of like perpetual hope, even when I didn't feel like I had hope. Um, And all these odds that were against me, I was going to try. And he, he always chose the side of it's never going to work. It's not going to happen. Why even try it? Um, And it it was really just kind of like this lightning bolt moment of, oh my God, we are so different from one another. This, I don't know how to keep moving forward with this, um, we did end up getting out that day. It worked. I went and I got a hold of the right people and <laughs> we went home on time. Yay, me. Um, <laughs> That's so awesome.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I gotta raise that and celebrate little, that part. Yeah.
1: I got hold of this wonderful man um, who was, uh, it ended up being something with, uh, there was a, a piece of paperwork that needed to be renewed. And that's all that it came down to. And I just needed to get a hold of the right person to tell them and, and to say, tell us what we need to sign. What do we need to do? Uh, we went to the embassy the next morning. The paper was right where they needed to be. They stamped everything. We had just enough time to stop at a street vendor, buy a couple souvenirs, and we were on our way to the airport. Um, but then we got home, and you know, that that was a that was a moment that was a the tail end of a series of incidences that had happened like that over and over and over and over again. And we got home and here we're at the spot where we're supposed to be this family now. And I felt so hopeless. Um and really kind of hit a, a very dark spot. I have the son that that I'm supposed to be raising now, and he won't attach with me. Um, we we would grow close and then he'd push away and then we grow close and we push away. And um, if you learn more about reactive attachment disorder, that's kind of a common thing. And it, it also, there's a lot of other things that go in with it that uh, make it very difficult to have any kind of like predictability in the relationship. And um So there there was a lot of tumultuous things happening there. And then at the same time, my husband was hitting a point where I I realized, I'm like, I now have two people that I have to take care of. I have no support whatsoever. Um, And kind of hit this point of hopelessness. And I remember driving, there were two different times where I was driving that um, that summer, that fall when we got home, and looking out at the, there was a con, it, you know, there was it was Columbus. There was always construction everywhere, um, all the time, and so I was constantly driving past concrete barriers. And I remember having two very distinct instances where I looked at the concrete barriers and thought, I, I think it might feel like a relief if I ran into those instead of a tragedy. I wonder I wonder if it would feel better if I just drove into it. Um, I don't know where the line is on what you know I, I didn't necessarily attempt it. Um, I didn't I didn't turn the wheel into it, but I knew that something bad was going on if I was feeling that way um, and I, I just felt so lost because I had built this this, this whole thing and where I'm doing everything to make everybody else happy, um, doing all this thing. And, and, you know, when, when you go through an international adoption, you need help with it. Like it's not something you can just kind of do on your own. I mean, some people can, I'm sure we were not in a financial position where we could do it on our own. We had a lot of people that helped us financially. Um, there were a lot of people that were really rooting for us, um, that, you know, That believed in all of it. And that looked up, you know, I'm sure thought, okay, here they go. They can do this. Um, I had given no indication to anyone that I was as sad and as hopeless as what I was. Nobody knew about the concrete barrier story. I didn't start telling that until a couple years after it happened. Um, I didn't tell a soul about that. My parents didn't know my, my, cousins didn't know my, my cousins that I'm super close to. Um, I I didn't tell anybody. I I took it all on myself and which I didn't have to, but I did. I kind of created this like, well, I've my self-worth is wrapped up in what everybody thinks of me and um, really started to realize that this, I'm going to have to make a choice at some point. I'm either going to have to, if I keep going like this, If I keep living for everybody else, um, uh, I'm going to end up running into a concrete barrier, something that's going to happen. And I, I knew enough to know that that really shouldn't be the choice that I make. Um, and in the process of all of this, I, um, I remember writing in my journal, like praying, like, just let something happen so that we can just divorce and it doesn't have to be my fault um that that didn't come to be instead what happened is i received a message from the boyfriend that i mentioned in the beginning that i left what i didn't share at the beginning is that we had also been madly in love with each other but because of the anger issues we ended up on incredibly bad terms and that was something that haunted me over the years and i was initially quite grateful to clear the air What transpired though, is that I was given a window into who I was before I started to lose my self-worth. It was like, I'd been in this dark room for the past decade and then the light fading more and more each passing year. And then he came and just like turned on the spotlight. I remember reading a thing. um, Somebody had talked about this, that sometimes things come into your life and they just shine a spotlight so brightly that you had been pushing out for so long because of where I was with my self-worth I was pushing so many things away and so many things aside and the spotlight came on and it was like I could see everything it was like that you know like in the movies where everything flashes before you and all of a sudden like all the things that I had pushed aside all the things that I told myself I wasn't going to think about all the things that I told myself I'm not going to I'm not going to worry about this I'm not going to think about this I can do this I can push past it um I started to realize like, no, we, we had some major, major problems that were not going to be overcome. And all of a sudden I, I couldn't, I couldn't hide the pain any longer. There were things that I could overlook before that all of a sudden were insurmountable now. And I'm intentionally leaving out what all those things were, because while they're a part of my story, they're also very much part of his story as well. And I don't think that that those details are really critical um what i do think is important is that at that moment i could see hope again and i could see myself worth within reach i knew what i needed to do the problem was that it was on the other side of the door (laughs) i knew i needed to leave i i knew that that there was no other way to solve this Um, and it would be months before I could actually do it because I've been people pleasing my entire life. And this is the exact opposite of that. But I did finally do it. I had been hurt in such a way that I just didn't feel like it was recoverable at all and um, made the very first choice just for myself and my first step towards finding my self-worth and decided to leave, which was the hardest thing I've ever done uh, at that point in my life (laughs) was the hardest thing that I had ever done that day that I stepped out. I remember putting this little, like, I remember drawing like a little American flag in my journal or in my diary, um, noting it like it's independence. It felt, it felt like that. It felt like independence for the first time that I'd ever felt in my life. Um, and I felt I could feel myself grabbing on to a sense of self-worth that I had not felt in many, many years. Just remember feeling like I, I'm never looking back like this is, I'm heading towards something better now. And that, that sense of understanding that I was not going to be in that hopeless state anymore. Um, that I could not get out of. And that I had been in for years. Like when you're in a state of hopelessness and you're in it for that long, you kind of feel like it's never, ever going to
0: end. Yeah. Um, That's so brave though, Megan.
1: Thank you. Now that was almost 12 years ago. So I was only on the beginning of my self-worth journey in the months following leaving my first husband, my high school boyfriend and I did end up reconnecting. He'd been in what he described as a similar situation and we found, we found a huge deal of refuge in each other and we fell in love again. And, oh, I was so blissfully happy. (laughs) You know, when you lose hope and then you gain it again and it feels like sunshine after cloudy days, it felt really complicated because we had kids on each side and we were doing the blended family thing. And, you know, we're both coming out of these places of great pain. So I understood. Um, but because of the support that I was getting from him that I hadn't gotten before at all, um, in my marriage, it just felt like such a huge relief. I was still processing a ton from that first marriage. And I was at a point where I felt like I could feel joy again. And I was beginning to believe that it was made for more than just to please everybody else. So I began that destruction phase of my faith journey at the same time because I don't know if you remember, but like you know, he was my first husband was a youth pastor. And so the church was a huge part of our lives. And um I learned that a lot of my pain with my ex was also wrapped up in pain with the church and how scripture was wielded at me as a weapon. Um, that was a very prevalent act in my first marriage. And Um, and it was just something that I, I started to deconstruct my faith a lot and really try to evaluate, like, do I still believe this? Is this something that I'm still buying into? Um, it was a, it was a pretty critical point for me with all of that. And, you know, moving into this relationship, I knew it wasn't perfect, but I also knew that no relationship was perfect. And this one was just so much better for my mental health. It gave me that space to deconstruct all of that and and I was still processing a lot of it. Um, you know, I'd I'd become an adoptive mother, mother, and then and then in diving into relationship with him, you know, I stepped into the stepmom role. And um, oh, I just I loved being there, I loved being stepmom to them. I love them dearly. And and then a little while later, uh, doctors discovered that I had a grapefruit sized cyst on my ovary and that led to a brief window when my body would be hospitable to get pregnant, um, which was a shocker to hear. Cause it seemed like something, it's just interesting how the timing of everything happened, because it's probably something that could have been solved, but it just wasn't, it wasn't solved at the time when it seemed like it should have happened. And you know, I'm not saying that to blame anything. I just think it's interesting the timing of how that came to be. So, um, fortunately I was given the gift of after many, many years of infertility of having my daughter. And so, you know, I was adoptive mom, step mom, biological mom. And we had this really kind of messy, but beautiful family environment in our home. I went from having no kids and mourning that on the regular to being mom in some capacity to four. And I loved it. I love the chaos. I loved it. It just made me so happy. Um, And then two years ago, it all fell apart. Um, It happened pretty fast. I discovered phone records that revealed that my husband had been lying to me for months. And overnight, my world just got ripped away. In a year, it took to process all that. Um, took a lot of time to process that whole experience, actually a little bit more than a year. I had a lot of hard realizations. Um, it And it wasn't that it was the lies that then became compounded with further lies. What I had the hardest time reconciling was that I had to acknowledge that I thought I'd done all of this work on myself and all the stuff that I believed I'd done to improve my self-worth, I'd actually just displaced to him. I had counted so heavily on this love that we professed to have for one another. Um, I was just completely blindsided and my self-worth, it took another huge blow. But I have to say that that, that experience was different. Um, before in my first marriage, when it all kind of came to an impasse, um, i was in such a state of hopelessness and i think this is part of the joy that comes with age is that you can look back and go you know what i made it through that before i can make it through it again and i i didn't experience that hopelessness in this other time i mean i i had deeply acute pain i ended up dealing with some pretty troubling anxiety and depression during it but i just even with all of that, like even in the darkest moments and there were some pretty dark moments, I just had this resolve in me that like kept me going. I think some of it was this combination of, of having my daughter in my life, um, having this, um, I had this renewed faith that where I could see outside of that legalistic cultish church lens that I'd been under previously where I could, you know, actually rely on it as a faith and not as a judgment. <laughs> um and the other thing is that I just dove headfirst into doing my inner work. So sometimes, some days it was meditation, There was always a ton of journaling, lots of prayer, reading books upon books upon books, and listening to podcast after podcast. Um, I was seeing a counselor the whole time, he's like feeding me all these lies, and I was building myself up. Um to try to be able to recognize these things and there were days where all I could do was just stare at the walls i remember i remember vividly there were like 3 days in a row where all i could bring myself to do to eat were a couple saltine crackers and clementines um that was all that i could down because i was just in such a state of like shock and upset but even in the midst of all of that just to give you a picture of how upset I was, I was not going to watch myself worth tank like I had before. And if I was going to go through this pain, <laughs> I was going to come out on the other side of it, shining like a diamond. Um, I was pretty determined with all that. So, so here I am now, I'm a little over a year away from the divorce of when that took place, two years out from when it all started to fall apart, you know, kind of learning over time that there were, there were things that were falling apart before that I I just didn't recognize because I was happy to be where I was <laughs> instead of where I had been. Um, and you know, this was, this was the most painful experience of my life, but I can say with certainty that now I understand what true self-worth feels like, what It comes from within. I worked during that time closely with, a. I had my coach. I had my therapist, my, oh, my dear sister cousin. So I could talk through my growth with, I had stacks of books and a million prayers. Sometimes I looked like I had it all together. Sometimes I, there was a point where I took a leave of absence from work because I needed to deal with the pain. I needed to give that, my my mental health, that attention. Sometimes I personified grace and made it look beautiful. Like it was effortless and sometimes I wrote horrible, horrible things in my journal. But oh my gosh, I, the growth that I've experienced, the highs I've been able to celebrate as a result of diving in and doing that inner work is something I would go back and do over a million times. The only thing I would change is if I could be braver to have done it sooner. I wish I could have recognized it, you know, at those other key critical points in my life. not that I, not that I necessarily want to change things because I think who we are is a result of what we've been through. And I don't, I can't even begin to imagine what, where I would be if I hadn't have been through those things. Um, but man, I'm going to use it. So You know, I've been just a bit astonished to evaluate who I am now versus two years ago, two years ago, I was anxious, I was depressed, I was hating my job. And that was something I didn't even like really comprehend because I loved the people that I worked with, but I was just not in a job that was using my skills in the way that I needed to. And it was depressing me. So that was compounding into everything too. And then, and then I was just desperately clawing at trying to keep this marriage that really wasn't worthy of what I have to give from falling apart. And now today, I'm happy to say I'm in a happy relationship with somebody who I just put through the ringer in this trust journey, and and you know he just kind of gave me the space to do that and um, let me let me really evaluate what it is that I need and who what my self worth is and and what that means in a relationship um, because I haven't really experienced that before, um, and you know I'm doing work for me that is natural and a perfect fit. I've switched my job completely. And oh my gosh, I just love it so much. And for, I can say for the first time in a really long time, that my self-worth is in a healthy space. I know, and I trust myself and it gives me the space to be in a healthy relationship with others. You know, as an Enneagram two, this is, it's a huge thing that we struggle with is knowing and believing our worth in the world. But today I know it. Yeah my story.
0: I am honored to be doing this with you. First off, uh, I wouldn't have chosen a better partner to do this podcast with, but just listening to your story and knowing the other side of it, um it kind of is so empowering. I mean, I'm crying saying this now because I know what you've been through and you know what I've been through and hearing it and just witnessing all of the pieces of the story come together, it has also giving me hope that i can share more parts of my story a lot of people talk about how we don't want to share our stories when we're in it because it's not that it's too vulnerable but we have our people we can share it with it but there's something empowering knowing that once you're on the healing side then you can share your story from a different perspective like you can You can share like you did saying like, I can own this side of my story. I'm not going to share the pieces, the vulnerable pieces of somebody else's story, even though they're part of your story. Yeah. What I want to leave our listeners with today is like, there's beauty in the struggle. Like we both had to go through the darkest valleys to get to that mountain, to see it, to go. There is so much more. We had to get to that place where we had to let everything fall before we could rebuild yeah. it because we were trying to rebuild. And when you, the listeners hear the rest of our stories, they'll understand, like we were trying to rebuild with the same broken pieces yeah. and that doesn't work. And so, um, thank you so much for sharing. And I am so proud of you. And it's, it's amazing to see your growth. It's amazing to Um, see you own your story and not um, carry that shame anymore it is so empowering to see thank you do you have any empowering to feel do you Um, have any last words at all or
1: yeah I just um if you're listening and you're you're feeling like I can't possibly be at a point where I could be that self-assured know that that's who I was 10 years ago I thought I couldn't i thought there's no way and i i thought i would always have um, the self doubt not that i don't have moments but to be to be in the place that i'm at now and um to feel the confidence that i feel it is something that you can achieve even if you feel like it's not possible at all and it it really does start with understanding who you are and and really owning that part of your story and learning about yourself and doing a lot of inner work and you can feel a lot better. So there's
0: a lot of hope, a lot, a lot of hope. That's so beautiful. Um, Thank you all so much for tuning in to another super vulnerable podcast. Next week is going to be so much fun. We're actually going to be bringing you some, content specifically around the enneagram so this is going to be a three-part series so you'll get to hear about all nine types in depth um, it's going to be over three separate episodes so the next three episodes are going to talk about groupings of each of the enneagram types so you can understand the specifics of how each type operates what they're motivated by what they struggle with and also just some fun stuff that um each type does and it's not about characteristics or anything like that but it's just patterns that we naturally fall into and those can be healthy and they can be unhealthy so Tune in next week um, for some really exciting Enneagram content. And um, I'm gonna let Megan send it <laughs> off at the end here. <laughs> we're so glad you've listened. Um, we're excited to share more Enneagram
1: stuff with you. And we um, hope you connect with us online. We have a, a face gro- Facebook group um, for our podcast listeners. So if you're wanting to connect with other people and just kind of geek out with us about the Enneagram or, um, or share parts of your story or, or kind of talk about how to, how to do that. Um, We'd love to connect with you there. So come join us on Facebook um, in our community group. So thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you. We are so grateful that with all of the choices of where you could have spent your time today that you joined us. If you enjoyed what you listened to, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at Voice Your Brave Story on Facebook and Instagram, and it would also mean the world to us if you would give us a five-star rating on the platform that you found us on. Nothing helps to spread the word more than when people share about what they love. Thank you so much for joining us. In the meantime, remember, your brave story matters. Voice it.